Welcome, my name is Yasmin and this is the Go Within podcast. Today's episode is pretty awesome, I'm very happy with it. I'm chatting with Carl Parch, who is a good friend of mine, and it's not easy to find a guy as open and honest as Carl is about his challenges and the way he really thinks and feels about life. Carl, in this episode, shares the story of his journey through and out of a six-year heroin addiction into finding a new lease of life, and he shares all the tools that helped him find connection to his self and nature. As well as being many years clean, Carl is an ultra runner, a speaker, workshop host, and has a hidden talent, or not so hidden really, of being a very good raw chocolate maker. We actually recorded this conversation twice because we had a technical issue the first time I tried. So a shout out to Carl for being so humble and patient and coming down from Gozo twice to share his story with us. So enjoy this conversation and as always your feedback and comments truly touch my heart and really give me that inspiration to keep sharing this go within message. This is you know, a tribe, a community of people who believe in the power of the inner world and I'm really grateful for you taking the time out of our your busy, busy lives to listen to the messages that we're sharing. Thank you all so much and here it is, enjoy. Beautiful, let's start. Thanks, Carl, for coming again. <laughs> Take <Thank> two <laughs> after some audio issues. Um, beautiful. So let's let's jump right into your story. Um, I would love to just you know your story is quite a unique story and quite an intense story. It's like a a really intense hero's journey that you went through. And I'd love to just give the listeners the context so that when you share the work you did, they'll know also yeah. where you came from. So maybe you can just start from the beginning of your challenges. Yeah. Um, basically, it started from my addiction. And I was addicted to something that people might see as like a big drug and I was addicted to heroin for a few years and uh, I'm just saying it to put as you said the context of where it all started from obviously it started before that you know but that was it started before that because obviously something led to that and you can say the heroin addiction was the last thing that then led me to some kind of massive change, which is still happening, you know, there's still changes happening now, but that was the first big massive change. It was the biggest shift in my life, I think. If you look what's happening when you're using heroin and in that lifestyle, to what's happening just as soon as you stop it's already a big, big shift, shift you know and then from then so I stopped 11 years ago you know so in these 11 years then there are gradual shifts not like the big the big mama yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, well, as you were sharing that it just reminded me that like in a sense with a heroin addic- addiction it's so destructive for your life that you can't really escape the fact that you have a problem after some time. Whereas 
with lighter drug addictions, yeah. you can sort of go about your, you know, you can be addicted to weed or cocaine for 10 years <laughs> and not have it disrupt your life to such an extent as with heroin. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's still like, obviously I've spent a lot of time with all kinds of addicts, addicted to all kinds of drugs and in all kinds of ways. Some people could do it in the weekend. Some people are smoking weed every day. And to some level, it's always creating some kind of destructive pattern. Some people can handle it. But on the outside, it looks like it's doing less damage. But on the inside, you know, it's uh, doing not the same damage because there's, a, I think, in different people, there's some kind of different potential of destruction and devastation. So even if I look at me, I... I destroyed quite a lot and I was quite deep in it, but I could still see people around me who were deeper and, you know, for example, if I can speak just a bit about my heroin addiction, I I started when I was 16, I was in junior college, I dropped out after three months of, you know, because I started using heroin after a month in junior college because I started hanging out with some people in that area, you know, I used to go to a hangout place there and hang out with some people and anyway, it progressed into this and uh, yeah, I started basically with spending that time we, we used to have the Maltese Lira, but anyway, it's like 12 euros of today, every, every day, you know, it quickly progressed to every day for me, you know, like in the first two weeks, I used a bit on weekends, but after that, it was every day, because I thought, uh, like, it, it gave me such a relief from, from my, fe- myself, my fears, my insecurities, my, non-fitting in, you know, uh, that it was just this comfortable numbness that, uh, like, I can be anywhere and just feel good, feel good, you know. But it didn't stay like that very long, you know, the 12 euros soon became 20, 30, you know? and I, was, I wasn't really working, I used to work a bit with my dad, because he always sort of helped me out because I can say even that I was working, you know, I was to just go to work and do nothing and, you know, he sort of accepted me there, which I thank him for because, you know, it wasn't even very nice to have a heroin addict hanging around there. I would always like, if the opportunity came, try to steal something or, you know, bum money or whatever. It would, it's not nice to be around my energy at that And time. your father knew at that point already? I mean, he knew after about... For me, it was very quick that they got to know. After six months of using heroin, they learned, you know, because a friend of mine overdosed and we took him to hospital and uh, he survived. And uh, yeah, obviously his parents found out and they knew we were best friends 
we were three of us always hanging out together and they came to my house and you know it was like a big meeting of parents and they you know and it was quite devastating for for our parents because they learn that you smoke weed it's one thing but as soon as they learn my son is injecting something into his you know it's there's such a stigma about it rightly so because it's you know it's quite it's quite a heavy thing when you're in it you you don't think you're doing anything you think you know it's just your life basically you don't want your parents to find out about it you have that sense that you're doing something that you don't want you know you have the sense of stigma but for you it's like it becomes second nature you just you know go through the process every day of of doing it uh, but as i was saying it creates the devastation because after a while it became i don't know 100 euros a day that i would need you know just to survive and then if you had more you would spend more and maybe get some extra different drugs and you know so to get that you have to lie you have to steal you have to do a lot of borrow and then you have to find out a way how to pay back it's a constant basically your life becomes centered around that you know and i always not always when i started when i stopped which i'll talk more about later i realized that addiction is just a very self-centered disease and the core of addiction is our self-centeredness and you were talking about cocaine and other people who are but even people who aren't using drugs were still suffering from this self-centered disease that manifests itself in different ways we're always trying to satisfy our selves basically and heroin is just one extreme of it you know uh, but yeah it becomes basically very destructive very quickly so you can see as you said you can see the destruction with heroin much more so it ignites it may hopefully ignite in you the willingness to change more than you know a shopping addiction or yeah <laughs> you get pushed into a point yeah. where obviously the the pain of the addiction now becomes as great as the pain of not having the drug i'm guessing exactly so so maybe you can share a bit like how that process unfolded because as you said in the beginning you were happy you were fine you were enjoying it but then obviously that was there like a specific turning point where you just said i, I can't live like this anymore i remember a specific turning point uh, so basically i spent six years five six years actually i spent like eight years in substance abuse because it started when i was 14 with alcohol and i used to drink a lot of alcohol like blacked out most times that I drank alcohol weed you know uh, but one year after I started using heroin I already went into rehab for a year so that was the first time I started learning a bit about self-awareness and about myself and about why I but I didn't take it very seriously at that time I went in more because 
my mom found out and I stayed in because a lot of my friends were in there. It was a nice communal vibe, you know, it was hard because it's rehab, but I didn't find it that hard, you know, I quite enjoyed it actually. But I went out, I felt lost again, and I used immediately, so I spent another four years then. But I remember one of the turning points was, basically, there's the, there are two points. One is, I experienced my sense of, what do you call it, powerlessness, my sense of like, man, I don't have any power of, over this. When I was one time arrested um, and picked up by the police, you know, and they... Anyway, I already had a case going and I thought, now I'm going to jail because it was a suspended sentence, so if they catch you again, you get two years, you know. And I was caught red-handed, so not nowhere to go. Anyway, I was lucky. The police were very nice that day. Uh, there was a person who helped me and they told me, listen, if you return the stuff that you took, we'll let you go, you know. I did that. I managed to, I had already sold some of the stuff. I managed to get it back, blah, blah, blah. You know, returned it and they let me go. I was in Pacheville, you know. It was a good place to, everyone is drunk, you can take something from someone. And they let me go and like 30 minutes later, they saw me again roaming the streets because then I still had to steal something because what I stole was returned, you know. Because you needed to get yeah. your, so, your fix. Like... 30 minutes earlier, I was crying in the van because I thought, this is it. I was very afraid to go to jail, you know. And as soon as they let me go, my addiction took over again and like, fuck it, let's see what we can (laughs) get. And he saw me, the police, he said, didn't I tell you to go home? I said, I'm going, I'm just looking for my car. He said, I go, (laughs) you know. And that day I realized, wow, man, like, I just don't learn any, I'm just, you know, where am I going to go from here? And that was like a bit of a realization. And the other one then was the inspiration from others who at some point after my first rehab, I had started going to NA meetings. NA is Narcotics Anonymous, it's like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. And it follows uh, the 12 steps, which is a basically spiritual program that you go into to become self-aware and learn about yourself. And that's where I started meeting addicts who are clean, some of them for multiple years, you know, seven years, ten years. At the time, and they were still young in Malta, so... Seven years was, you know, but then I started meeting people from NA from other countries who were 20 years clean, you know, and it's like my mind couldn't picture it, how someone could not have a drink even, you know, from being a heroin addict. Now he doesn't have a beer for 20 years. It's crazy. (laughs) You know? So that was like a bit of inspiration that it's possible still took me out there about two, three years to try it out myself. Yeah. 
But you started to kind of have some kind of vision of what your life could be yeah. post-heroin. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one thing that I keep learning in life, you know. And that was the first time. Like I look back now and see the lessons I learned. You know, at that time I was just doing what I was doing. But basically how important it is to surround ourselves with people that we want to be like, you know. It's like when I was in uh, in the heroin addiction, I was surrounded by heroin addicts. And actually, the more people seem to be messed up, the more I wanted to be around them because there's different levels, you know. So it looked cool. It looked like uh, that these people, are they really have it together. They managed to be good heroin addicts, you know. Um, so obviously, I started getting better at it. And it's the same in all areas of my life. When I started hanging around people who weren't using and who had like what seemed, you know, like a more successful, happy, peaceful way of life, because my life was not at all peaceful. Somehow your psyche starts taking that in and it starts believing that it's a possibility, you know? Like if you've never seen... A plane in your life you don't believe that flying is possible but once you see it like then your brain molds yeah. into that you know possibility so yeah and can you share a bit more about sort of obviously once you decide okay i can be clean i can get through this um obviously there must have been quite a fight in that point to let go of the addiction um which i'm sure was quite a struggle maybe you can share a bit about that challenge how you got through it Yes, um, so obviously you're not just stopping drugs. Actually, the drugs is the easiest thing to stop, you know. It's the, you just don't use drugs. I mean, it sounds easy, but it's not. <laughs> but there's withdrawal symptoms. But the thing that you're actually afraid of most is the whole identity that you're giving up. So I had known myself for those years to be this guy. Now, who am I going to be without this? You know, how is my life going to be? You know, I remember in the beginning, even just a day or a few days without using heroin would be like it was a lot of back and forth in the beginning. You know, maybe I'd spend a week, go back then do another three months, then maybe I'd spend another... Because it was just depression. I couldn't see myself who I will be without this, you know? So I think that is the biggest resistance. You're fighting with letting go of a whole life, basically a whole... And a lot of patterns of behavior that are comfortable but not really serving you. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of patterns of behavior, you know. And even so when you start working uh, the steps, the 12 steps, what you're doing is actually you start looking at these patterns of behavior. And it's very difficult, you know, to look and to admit that they're destructive, that, you know, that it's uh, very... Most of us don't want to 
unsettled about, you know, we don't want to admit certain things about ourselves. We have this idea that, you know, we don't want to be vulnerable. And at the same time, everyone is. So we're not actually alone in this. Once you start doing this work, once you start looking into yourself and you realize like you're just the same as everyone else. And actually by looking at these things, you gain a much deeper strength in yourself than by not and putting up a persona of like, ah, I'm strong, yes, like what I do is all perfect and, you know, don't. Because many people and even me, you know, like it still happens today if someone tells me, ah, maybe you can do that in a different way. That's, that's good, you know, like my first reaction is resistance. Someone's telling Defense. me I'm doing something yes. wrong. No, it's not, you know, but yeah. I mean, the thing is, I mean, I totally relate. And the thing is, we're not taught at any point how to sort of take responsibility for our negative and make them a positive. Yeah. And I guess in a way, rehab is so good because it does make you take responsibility yeah. for yourself, which, you know, many adults... 50, 40, 50, 60 years old, they still haven't learned this. <laughs> so yeah. in a way, sort of the, the addiction makes you grow up and, and take this responsibility that we're not used to. We're not taught that this is actually a very, very important part of life. Yes. Taking responsibility for ourselves is, was the biggest, you know, step, I can say. So, and there's two parts of it. So there's the part where you realize that what happened, how you're acting is actually coming from your conditioning, from, you know, your cultural conditioning, the conditioning you got at home, your situation at home, I don't know, maybe some genetics, maybe uh, the conditioning at school, you know? So, yeah. And you can get stuck there and blame it like, oh, this is how I am because my parents were like this, you know? And it's not true. So you can give yourself a break and realize, ah, I act this way because that's how I learned to act, to survive when I was a kid, maybe. But now I am aware of that and now it's my responsibility to, you know, stop acting this way. I don't need to lie anymore. I don't need to feel I'm not good enough anymore, you know. Actually, I have proof otherwise that I've always been good enough I, it's just a belief that I had thought of uh, had believed in and uh, yeah there, there's the point when you start being responsible being listen whatever is happening to me is my responsibility basically you know how I react to that is my responsibility Let's, can we maybe dive a little bit more into the not feeling of not good enough? Yeah. Because obviously it's something that's common to all of us. We all have this deep within that we don't believe that we're worthy and you know, we have to sort of work on it. And when we had the first conversation, you spoke a little bit about your childhood and your relationship with your father and how that yeah. kind of made you feel like you were not good enough. And, and then you, you went on to sort of to work on that. Yeah, so... Now I know that many of our character traits come from our childhood, you know. And I can't complain of my childhood. I had very loving parents and, like, my mom loved me 
the best way she knew how and my dad also but like all parents they all like I'm sure if I have kids which I don't I will mess up in my own way you know even if I try my best to be you know because whatever you do the kid has to go through his own process so like I got this sense of not being good enough quite early on because of the way my relationship with my dad was in my case you know maybe I never really felt so trusted or seen by him you know if it was my dad for example like and even this this is like my perception maybe for him I was great you know but maybe I was just looking at the things he's not approving me for but uh, one one of the things for example I wasn't the best in sports so I used to compare myself a lot with others and in school it was a lot about about uh, competitiveness and I didn't have this competitive nature you know I didn't want to play football and be very competitive you know I was even a bit scared of the ball hitting me too hard or something so well, my brother was, my brother, my younger brother was a very good, like, good in football, and my dad loved that. So I, I, it was already creating that, mm, maybe I'm not worthy enough, you know, like, and I always had this feeling. So I was always trying to prove myself with friends, and even my addiction actually started out like that, you know. I started, my first addiction, I said 14, it was like 9. I started stealing petty things because I always had enough money at school. I didn't need to steal anything at that time. But just stealing little things from stationaries like pens or whatever made me look cool with my friends. It gave me that sense of self-worth, basically, which I was lacking, you know. And uh, today I see how deep that conditioning is because even though I'm very aware of it it even still comes up today you know in certain areas of my life it like I don't feel good enough to do this or maybe even someone asks me to do something like I think man are they serious they're asking (laughs) me it's like now less but still it comes up sometimes that thought you know so it's very deep and it's a constant looking and the constant awareness that you have to when that thought comes up you realize ah, it's just you know a thought of conditioning I'll go I'll do it whatever like I might mess it up I might not but I'm sure I'll do the best I can you know and uh, yeah that was one way you know, and there are many other ways. It's like many other ways in the way I related with my mother, you know. Even I remember very one simple thing when I felt outcast. And it wasn't like that at all. It was just a feeling I had, but I was like the older child. And when my mom had my two younger siblings, they came together. And obviously she had to give a lot of attention to them and the attention I was used to for the first few years of my life had to diminish. 
So I started feeling a bit, I don't know, put aside. And it wasn't like that at all. I always got the same love from my mom. But, you know, somehow it affected me that I had to fight for love. And I still... still I think <clears throat> what you mentioned that, you know, sometimes as children, we perceive an experience one way when actually it's not even the reality. Yeah. But obviously you're a child and you don't know better. And so we get to the age where we have to question like, okay, is that the reality? Do I need to feel like that? Or can I, can I change that? And that process of making that change is hard, but so productive for our yeah. lives. Um, maybe you can share a bit about how you got to the point where you started realizing that you are worthy and started to experience that I am worthy enough that you actually managed to then let go of your addiction. Like what were the, the tools or the environment that created that for you? Yeah. So for me, as I said, it was basically the first time I really started looking at myself was in, in NA and uh, I still use those tools today. And the, the first thing basically in all our spiritual process is admitting, you know, the admission that I do feel this way. Because many times we even are afraid to admit, I do feel I'm not good enough. It's like... I'm the only person in the world that doesn't feel good enough. And it's everyone has this feeling, you know, or most people. So the admission is great. And uh, basically the environment that made it possible was this, the environment in NA was this environment of unconditional love, basically, you know. Uh, Obviously there were the usual things that come up in any sort of community, but that was the energy there that you could let go be yourself be vulnerable be you know because other people were doing it it was promoted for the first time in my life you could be vulnerable you could be you know like crawling on the floor just in surrender I don't know what to do with my life you know and that that actual surrender is the first step, you know? It's like, I don't know. I, I need help, you know? From where this help is going to come, I don't know either, but I'm just... I need help. And in the beginning, it came from there, the help. I mean, today I understand... In the beginning, it was a very hard process for me to understand that there's a higher power at work, something higher than me, higher than the people in NA, something working through us, you know, some call it God, some call it whatever, I call it God because it's the easiest thing, everyone understands it, so yeah, that admission that later I realized that actually this was helping me in my life, you know, which is always there for us, you know, but it's not a forceful energy, so we have to go and like, listen, I know there your that your help is available, I don't know in what way, but I want it, you know, <laughs> now, yeah, yeah, that was the, 
basic environment. So it was sort of unconditional love from the people that made you feel (coughs) accepted. And you also mentioned that they were trusting you to do certain things that you felt incapable of doing. Yes. So in in the beginning, um, I used to go to meetings and meetings, it's like to happen there are certain responsibilities, roles, you know, that you need to take on. Someone will open the meeting, someone needs to be the treasurer of the... Like, I remember I was the treasurer for a point, you know, like they start trusting you with the money of... And the first time someone says that to you, you know, you know you're in a room full of addicts who couldn't ever be trusted with money, you know. <laughs> it's like... And now they're trusting you with the money of the the whole community. And the first time someone told me that I knew within myself that I wasn't going to take the money at that time, you know, then I was working, I had a... My life had started turning around. It wasn't like I need... But still, this feeling that how are they trusting me? How are they trusting me to open a meeting and you know like like not mess it up and am I even good enough to do this maybe I'm a bit too shy to and so people giving you trust seeing in you what you don't see in yourself is the most beautiful thing it's something that sometimes maybe in schools we lack especially now it's changing a lot you know there are many open-minded teachers but when we're young we're we're not seen, you know, many times we're not seen for the beautiful things. Maybe we're seen for what we can't do. And they're always pushing us, thinking uh, we want to make a better person of this. With the best intentions, probably, too, they did it. But it makes you feel that, you know, what you're doing is not good enough, ever. So, yeah. Gaining trust from, at that time, my peers, sort of, you know was one of the biggest push-forwards I had in in my life, you know, to start trusting myself then. It's so beautiful. I can relate to that a lot. Sometimes, you know, along my life, people saw that I am capable of more than I taught myself. In a way, it's like the biggest gift someone can give you is seeing that in you. We're so used to just judging each other, putting each other down instead of having that self-security to actually say, whoa, no, this person, let's push, let's push them up. That's the, maybe sometimes, you know, the really inspirational people that you meet. That's why they're so inspirational. I'd really like to also dive a bit into the spiritual aspect. Um, I shared my journey on this podcast a few episodes ago and I was talking, you know, of my struggle with addiction. You know, my addiction was weed, which is, you know, very different, but I was sharing how my spiritual connection was really the thing that helped me get over that addiction. Because in a way, like as an addict, you're you're seeking that connection, that bliss, that union through drugs, because we don't have it naturally. And I think for me, that was my experience. And I would love your thoughts about this and your experience about how that spiritual connection helped you yeah so that's something i 
realize they're Leon and now it's uh, even more you know as more time goes by I feel this is what everyone is looking for you know something that's very actually present within us you know we all feel this sense of when we start looking deep within ourselves you know like one of the things that first you realize is that we all feel a bit of sense of isolation that like we're who threw us in this world all alone to you know strive and and when you start seeking some sort of spiritual something spiritual basically you start realizing that that that's not true you know you start realizing that uh, actually life is being taken care of you know and uh, you know you see the you look at nature and how nature is growing and everything is sort of being taken care of the only time we're not taken care of is when we through our minds disconnect ourselves from it you know and uh, for me whatever form of spiritual understanding you have you know some people have even a scientific spiritual form of understanding some people have a very more i don't know what you call it the opposite of scientific um, <laughs> you know but are more like and relate more to god or or something but whatever it is it's what we all need to you know and for me how how it started was very basic i think it was just just quieting myself down part of being an na also had to do with meditation and uh, yeah i i was all i was always actually attracted to philosophical stuff even when i was in in my sixth form I took up philosophy and it was my favorite subject for the three months I was there. It was actually the subject I, I used to go to, you know. All the others didn't really interest me much. But philosophy, yes, it was. Because there was this deep... Basically what spirituality is, in a nutshell, I think, is this deep yearning to understand who we are, you know. Beyond who I think I am. I'm Carl. I'm talking about all this now and I was a heroin addict and now I do some sports and you know but beyond all this who am I you know when I just when I'm alone at home wherever I am not even if I'm alone in the world somewhere like who am I you know and it's this question that some people are trying to answer and some people are super scared all their life to even look at you know because once we start looking obviously you start realizing what you are not and <laughs> in the beginning <laughs> it's scary you know because as I talked in, in the beginning as I was saying the biggest difficulty of stopping heroin addiction is like who am I gonna become that was how I thought I was and that process is still going on now you know but now it's a bit easier because I'm learning not to attach myself to the situations I'm in in my life. I know that what I'm doing now, tomorrow might change, 
for sure if it changes tomorrow I'll have a hard time accepting it you know I'm sure that if I wake up bedridden or something it's not gonna be oh, it's all good but you know it will be easier you have the tools now yes exactly and I think once you once you experience the positive feeling of going within yeah it sort of motivates you to yes. you know keep going and face more challenges yes. ahead going within that's like you know that's the best way to explain it so all our life we're just looking out you know looking like uh, how am I gonna make myself better with this and have these friends and have these positions and have this kind of life you know and whenever or not never many people do it but I think it's really important to start looking within you know and how do you do that basically by shutting down a bit from the world you see in front of your eyes so it starts with meditation it starts with many different things but just some silence basically yeah we're living in the opposite of silence right now yes. in this world yes. like full yes. of stimulation and distraction and yeah uh, distraction and destruction destruction, <laughs> destruction. yes and that's something i've <clears throat> observed in my life as i got clean after I got clean, as my recovery progressed, it was more attraction towards silence and towards a more peaceful way of life. Like now I live in Gozo, where it's a bit more silent than Malta, you know, a bit more. And uh, there's the scary part of that, because when you're more in silence, you can hear you your face. mind louder <laughs> and you have to face it you know and there's the beautiful part of that you're just you, you start becoming more comfortable with your own mm-hmm. silence it's like as soon as you go through the resistance of the discomfort of yeah. that silence you get to the joy and bliss of that exactly. silence yeah i'd love to for you to share a bit about sort of the role that sports played in your recovery yeah because, I mean, something that I love about you is that you swim every day, yeah. <laughs> which I find really an inspiration. Um, and yeah, you do a lot of long distance runs. So yeah, maybe you can just share a bit about yeah. about that and the role that it played in supporting you to step into a new person. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I already talked about not feeling good enough. That was one of the ways that I combated that. Not not because I tried to combat it in that way, it's because it happened in that way, you know. But I combined them, sports, I combined it a lot with nature, you know. I got attracted to sports and nature at the same time. But in the beginning it was more like I started running, just, you know, to keep a bit fit. But, and it took me ages to to get into a routine of running. It took me four years, you know, like starting, stopping. I actually had started when I was still using drugs. Uh, Like I had a three-month gym membership. But I got a bit addicted to the adrenaline of running, you know. But then I used to be a bit shy and ashamed to run outside like in the gym it's okay I was on my treadmill not many people are seeing me and uh, but outside it was another thing I don't know why 
it's like you're doing an amazing thing you're going out for a run or but you're but the first time I did it I think I went to the gym and it was closed you know and I thought I'll go to a run out here and now this wasn't like in a national park or something you know it was at Taali there are some nice trees and some birds and I had so much fun just listening to the birds looking at the trees and running and you're feeling your body moving anyway I didn't become an ultra runner the next day it took a while but what got me into actual more intense things in sports is the swimming because yeah when I got clean then I started listening more to something within me you know I would feel to do something I don't know where the feeling came from but I would follow it more than before because I started believing more in myself instead of how will this look how will this be perceived and one of them was swimming in winter I always loved the sea I grew up by the sea you know in, in summer and uh, I'm very thankful for that because for the people who gave me a love of the sea and uh, yeah I used to see these older people swim in winter and I used to tell them wow man like how do you do that it's, isn't it cold they used to tell me yes it's cold but it's really it's good for me you know I feel like I have a back pain it goes and anyway it's just but something was attracted me although I thought it's a bit crazy it's so after about two years watching them I just started you know and obviously to swim in winter you can't just um, float about you have to swim and I didn't know how to I knew how to swim to float but I didn't know swimming technique basically so I just started learning you know I just looked at others how they swam watched some YouTube videos and yeah and I started swimming longer and longer you know sometimes 30 minutes and then one hour and and then I had the idea to swim from Gozo to Malta and uh, I didn't I, I had heard that it was something that sometimes happens so I googled it and this thing came up and it was gonna happen in like three weeks or one month's time and I called the organizers and they said that ah, you have to come do this qualifier race and so I went I did the qualifier race which was like four kilometer race which was the longest I would ever have swam and the goats home Malta was five and a half which would take over two hours which for me at that time was insane you know it was like but insane and not I was thinking then like I'm just gonna go and try you know the thing that could happen is I stop midway it's not a big deal no one's like gonna you know but I got I did it finished it and I got such a high from just being in the water for that long and just you know the meditative aspect of just doing the same movement one stroke after the other you know and and the way your body feels in the end it's like just spent uh, I, I think one of the things that attracts me from long distance things is how you spend all your energy you know how you give your all 
and spend even more energy than you thought you actually had, you know? Because uh, sometimes, even though I run a lot, sometimes if I go for a long walk or something, I might feel tired, you know? But I know it's like a mental thing. Yeah, and that then took me into long distance running then, you know? I started trail running because I had read a book called Born to Run, which I really suggest to anyone interested in sports, basically, because it changed a lot the way I view my my capabilities, you know. And I got into trail running, and uh, that was also another way in which life showed me that when I started hanging out with people, it just, I started hanging out with these trail runners who do these long races and what I believed was impossible you know to run even to run 20 kilometers seemed far-fetched but then I started running 50 60 you know one time I even ran 100 kilometers just a bit over 100 kilometers in the mountains in the middle of nowhere in Spain you know not in the middle of nowhere but for me it was the middle of nowhere (laughs) I was alone not many people doing the race so, yeah, even that, I don't know what attracted me to that, but you asked me about the role it played. For me, the role it played was to listen to my inner callings, you know. I don't know why I did it. It's like some people tell me, why, why would you run that much and put your body... I don't know, like something calls me to do it, you know, like I can question that to many people. Why do you go to do this job every day because that's what you're called to do you know and at some point that calling might even go and you might be called to do something else so yeah and another role it played was connecting me deeper with myself and with nature you know just and also as I said taking me out of the urban noisy world more into more into a more natural sort of closer to nature i still don't live in a cave or something i live in an apartment (laughs) all you know comfortable but just the fact that i go and jump in the sea every morning or sometime during the day just connects me with you know with life Basically, I think it's really beautiful that you said, um, you know, you talked about listening to that inner calling, which so many of us, we have this intuition inside and we don't listen to it because, as you said, you know, we judge it. We think how other people going to think, look, look at us or we judge ourselves. And Caroline Mace, one of my favorite authors, she said, like, people go to her to learn how to be intuitive. And she just laughs at them and says, like, you're already intuitive. You're just not listening to the message. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, a really nice message for, for everyone out there, you know, to just listen to that inner calling. Because sometimes we don't know why, you know, why are you going to go and run a hundred kilometer race? But yet when you do it, you feel like this deep fulfillment. Yeah. And I think that deep fulfillment is what keeps you off drugs. You know, yeah. it, it stops us turning 
to the the quick high in a way you know like the short the destructive patterns yes it's like you know you mentioned that other thing of like giving in to the sort of needs of the self which are maybe not um ultimately gonna serve us you know it's like it's always easy to take that shortcut and yes just take the drug or or eat the food or buy that dress that's gonna make you feel good about yourself but it's really about learning to kind of not give in to those more childish easy fixes and and go for the things that really fulfill us which i think is a hard (laughs) hard muscle to to grow that that power and you said something about intuition and how to develop it and as you said you don't develop intuition it's there and uh, but in my experience what helps is what we already talked about you know just going off on your own a bit because we're so all the time doing our life is so full of all the things we need to do and we say we don't have time and but when you start going off for yourself even just going for a walk by the sea half an hour that voice you know if you're not looking at your phone watching i don't know something tell you how you should be and just go a bit you know either in meditation or just in nature for a simple walk or sitting down that's when you start feeling you know those inner voices the, the your inner callings basically yeah you can't you can't hear if you're always listening to something yeah. else out there <laughs> yeah um something also that really struck me from the first time we recorded this talk yeah. <laughs> um was that you mentioned how you know recovering from your addiction was like you had to really spring clean your mind yeah. And then, you know, moving forward, you still feel like you have to sweep every day or every uh-huh. week, you know, to keep, because it's very easy to sort of fall back into our dysfunctions and we, we kind of have to be proactive in, in keeping our mind clean, yes. um, which it really stuck with me that you said that because I thought it was such a beautiful metaphor. It's, it's so true. You know, if yeah. you leave it too long, then you have to do a really big spring clean. Yeah. But if you're yeah. sort of sweeping every week, then, then it's much more manageable. Maybe you can share some of the things that help you look within you know we talk a lot about reflection on this podcast and reflecting on on why we do things but to someone listening who maybe doesn't know how do i reflect yes are there any tools that that you've used that help that process as i said it started with simple meditation you know and writing also helped me a lot in the beginning to to clean out I uh, I don't do it I still write you know but I don't do it like I used to before where I'm writing about what's going on but that helped a lot what I do now mostly is spend time alone and there were periods in, in these 11 years when I became complacent you know I never returned to drugs but I could see my life was becoming a bit messy again and messy maybe not even on the outside it's just my mind became a bundle of noise you know where it's just i'm engaging with a lot of stuff that is just keeping me from from my own 
peace, my own stillness. So basically, what I do now is take a lot more time for myself, you know. Actually, doing the running and the swimming is one of the ways that I take time for myself. Sometimes if I don't have time in the day to meditate or something, what I do, at least I will go running and I don't take my phone with me and put my headphones in my ears and, you know, sing along to Queen or something, (laughs) which once in a while, like twice a year, I'll do it. But most of the times, that's the time for me to, you know, and usually after my run, I like running most of the time alone because it's my time. Once in a while, I like to run with my friends. It's enjoyable for me too, but that's my time. And after I jump in the sea and when I come out, I just spend... You know, sometimes I take a tea with me in a thermos and just spend 20 minutes just there. And it's what is happening, you know? It's like you're actually like sweeping uh, your internal environment, you know, and making it clear again. And one tool that I use is, that I've been using more and more now, is that everything that I'm experiencing, I try to observe it. So if I'm going through a very difficult situation, maybe in a relationship or maybe in my business life or whatever, you know, or because the experience is just thoughts about it. The experience might not be difficult at all. I start sort of taking a step back from those thoughts, which is what meditation is. So to sort of start actually realizing that uh, okay there are these thoughts and then there's me observing these thoughts and they're two different things and some thoughts are coming and I'm giving them more importance and some are just coming and going in the end they're all just coming and going and I was really thinking about this in the morning and now I'm not so okay (laughs) I can stay more in this place you know and that creates a lot more not creates helps me to stay more in a still space where then I can actually be more productive in if there's a situation I need to solve solve it instead of solve it from the noise yeah, and not believing every thought that you think exactly you know? which is very dangerous because the mind does create some pretty crazy ones yes. <laughs> <A lot. laughs> I think that's one of the things that meditation really taught me yes. is like yeah thoughts come and they go but you don't need to be that thought you know you are not your thoughts yeah. some of them you can just send them on their way <laughs> yes <laughs> thanks for coming no Where thanks they for came going from, they will go again you know <laughs> yes. it's like beautiful um, we have a question from the audience. Yeah. Um, you know the question already, but I'm going to repeat it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just one of our audience was asking if you could share your thoughts on, you know, how challenging it is for the family of addicts because, you know, we all want them to change and we see their potential but when they stay stuck sometimes for years on end it can be so frustrating and and damaging and maybe you can share some advice for this person to to help get them through this period of frustration i think it's sometimes hard to assess like sort of do you just give them unconditional love but then you also need to set a boundary and i think finding that line is very difficult yes 
Yes. When I speak about addiction, I get this question many times, because many times, yeah, people who have addicts in their family are listening, and yeah, so we have a saying in NA, we, we say, you can't carry the addict, you can only carry the message, which means in the end, you have to let everyone come to it by himself so and that's so one of the advice is you have to really start accepting this about life you know if you your father is an alcoholic or your son is a heroin addict or your brother or whatever you have to accept that it's his choice you know and uh, and that doesn't mean like oh, okay let him you know so you you still can remind him but what you want to look at is more your your state that's being caused by this so why is your happiness depending so much and your peace depending so much on this other person being you know clean or whatever and uh, yeah so unconditional love is a great thing because Obviously, you can always show the person, listen, when you're ready, if you ever want to take that step in your life, I'm here, you know, in however way you want me to be. Because sometimes you're not the, actually the best person to help, you know, like me, I got most of the help from people from NA, not from, you know, like from my mother, the help I got was her just being there and accepting my change. And I remember my mother used to go to used to go to the meetings that uh, Caritas used to make when I was in rehab and she still goes today, you know. And at first, all the parents and relatives think they're going there to learn how to help their children, you know. And instead they find out that they're going there to learn how to help themselves, how to stand on their own two feet. Because... You can only help someone if you're on your own two feet. If you're not, what are you offering that person? You know, nothing, really. And uh, and yes, you said like the boundary. You also have to set a boundary. You, you, you do have to listen. Like, I'm here to help you, but I'm not here for you to to use me to, you know, like... In whatever way that seems good for you for some people it's different some people have to move out of the house they're living with an addict they have to move out or ask them to move out you know and some people just has to be different for every person but you have to actually see what that is and you have to look at your own dependence on on this person on this person being you know because you're not dependent on that person's well-being your well-being isn't at least, but I can really relate to the pain, you know, it's like I could see the pain my whole family was feeling when I was addicted and that that I felt when I saw my friends still, but what do you do, you know, you have to just actually take, take a good look at your pain and start loving more yourself first. 
Because then when that person sees that in you, it might spark a change in him, you know. I One thing that really helped me actually to start making a change is when I saw a bit of sense of resignation from my from my mother and from my father, you know. It's like, he's an addict, there's nothing to do with it. When I felt that, I thought, oh my God, man, they're accepting. You know? It's like part of you wants to prove them wrong then yeah, as well. <laughs> you know? And then it, 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 it didn't feel nice. It's like... So that sometimes helps too. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, Carl. Um, usually we kind of close the conversation um, sharing you know, one thing maybe that you will share to our listeners to help them on their go within journey um uh, and i think last time i asked you to share a book also mm. that you would recommend um yeah so if you just want to sh- share any parting words and maybe a, a nice book that people can pick up to to read yeah well some parting words are just what i've been saying you know like give time to yourself and get out of the noise of the world and and in the beginning it will feel difficult for many people you know like in the beginning if someone goes to spend half an hour by the sea and leaves his phone in the car it might feel weird it's like what am i gonna do your mind will come you know but give yourself some time you know like start start enjoying that silence that that will come after all that subsides so just more time for yourself and more time in nature is what i really what's really has worked for me and uh, a couple of books that have helped me a lot along the way in the beginning i had read a book called the road less traveled which i really enjoyed and really changed the way I look at my conditioning and my actions you know in relationships in in life and the other book that came to me recently which also helped me a lot and still helps me is called um, Don Miguel Ruiz The Four Agreements The Four Agreements (laughs) which one of them is don't take anything personal which anyway it's it's called the four agreements and it's a really good read it's short and it's four things that i find when i live by i feel a bit lighter you know yeah don't take anything personally is a life lifelong challenge yes. <laughs> for us <laughs> yes because now i realize that i take even myself personally yes. my thoughts personally yes. you know yes. let alone what other people do so even that you have to not take personally anyway but that may be a bit like complicated what <laughs> i'm saying but just it's a nice book yeah <clears throat> definitely a sec- second that recommendation both of those books really beautiful carl thank you so much for 
having the patience to come and record again. No you, are, you are really a person that practices what you preach. And I really have so much respect for you for that. And, and also, you know, to, to share your experience, um, I think, of going within in such a vulnerable, honest way is, is really beautiful. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people inspired by your words. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But Right now, when you come in and switch to T-Mobile, you get the amazing iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. Ah, aren't these mountains majestic? Joe, are you even looking? I'm posting these amazing pics I took with my iPhone 11 Pro. It has three cameras. Whoa, those pics are amazing. And you have service too? T-Mobile. Their newest signal goes farther than ever before. Uh, then you can look up whether these are bear tracks, right? Or we could just run. Come to a T-Mobile store today and get iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. And right now, get four lines for just 30 bucks a line with AutoPay. Switch today. Contact us if you cancel or credits may stop in full price due, plus taxes and fees via 24 monthly credits for well-qualified customers with qualifying service and finance agreement. Zero down with trade-in plus 3125 times 24 months. Pre-credit price dollars 0% APR while supplies last. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers!